1973 or so, Muncie Central High School, my alma mater, was at a crossroads. We had been in Indiana, we, when I say we, it's not like I had anything to do with it, but we had been the dominant basketball high school in Indiana. We were the only, only uh, team in the entire state that had won five state titles. And you'll recall, if you didn't know this, it, Indiana used to be the place where there were no divisions. It was everyone against, that's how you got the movie Hoosiers or the big city school, which actually was meant to portray my high school. Great, uh, of, uh, of, I almost said Great Bend, Muncie Central, okay? So they'd won five, but they, the glory days were gone. In 1973, it's like, we'll never see those days again. The current coach just could not hack it. He couldn't you know, resurrect that out of the smoldering embers. And this is often the case, when you have a team that's known for something, a school that's known for something, they don't wanna let it die. I don't know what happens behind closed doors. I don't think it's all completely on the up and up, but somehow they found Coach Harrell. Coach Harrell was a successful coach of not a high school, but a small college in Kentucky. He had taken that to, to the, you know, their finals in that division and done really, really well. And somehow they talked, somehow, you know, <clears throat> uh, they talked him into coming to Muncie, Indiana and coaching the Bearcats. And I remember in an interview once they said, what do you tell your, what do you tell your kids, coach? How are you gonna get them turned around? Well, I just tell them to shoot for the hole. That was, that was kind of also how he taught social studies. He was a horrible teacher. But man, he was a winning coach. He had them inspired within a couple years that he had his team going to the state finals. It, it was an amazing, amazing turnaround. Now Jesus has given his followers their game plan. He's given them their mission. He's laid out the strategy. You know, you're gonna stay. The Holy Spirit's gonna come. You're gonna begin in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they had obeyed. They had done what he had told them to. They had stayed, they'd, they'd taken care, they cleaned up on the whole crisis, the moral crisis of Judas. And when we pick up in Acts chapter two today, it was go time. It was go time. The season's beginning, right? The, 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 we're, we're gonna go all out. And, and, uh, and this is the first game of the season, you might say. And here's the question that still lingers so many years later that you have to answer for yourself as a Christian. Do you believe that our coach can take us to the finals. Yeah, I mean you sang like you did during worship. You sang like you, you really believed that. I mean, our, I, I, maybe you didn't get the analogy that Jesus would be our coach, right? In the analogy, and, and, and the state title for us is, is, is the winning of the nations and the return of Christ, and I believe that that's gonna happen. We, this, this is the point, we should trust that Jesus will enable the church to complete the mission. You might say, well, is that important for me to know? Is that important for me to care? Yeah. Yeah, because you're in, you are, if you are a believer, you're in the church, the church has a mission, and there are times when we feel good and we feel like things are going well, there's times we get discouraged, and, and, and that's the thing that really I wanna preach against today, it's just that, that discouragement or that, that malaise, that kind of funk that we get into where we're just like, is it really gonna happen? Are we really seeing the nations one? And I think we can trust the Lord to get us there. And there's gonna be 10 little encouragements here. And I know 10 sounds like a discouragement to you. <laughs> You're thinking, really, 10, seriously? Hey, it'll keep you hopping, it'll keep you busy because we're gonna shove it all into the same time frame. I, I promise, give or take 30 minutes, it, it should be fine. <laughs> 
Okay, first, the first encouragement, the church was together and ready for the mission. The church was together and ready for the mission. It was the Jewish feast of the harvest called Pentecost. It's called Pentecost. You hear that word for five in there, penta, uh, not the pentagram. That's a whole different thing. Um, <laughs> we're just gonna stay away from that. But this is Pentecost, which is that festival 50 days after Passover. It is now a Christian holiday, so when we talk about Pentecost within the church year, which really should be like in 50 days, but I'm, I'm hitting a little, <laughs> a little ahead of time as far as the church year, but we're celebrating that, 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 that time when the, when the Holy Spirit comes. It says, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They're all together in one place. One of the things, and, and people will dispute this. I mean, I was, one of my favorite commentators on the book of Acts happens to kind of say, nah, nah, don't look too hard at the story of the Tower of Babel. And he has his reasons for thinking that that's not really, really very much in the story. But I can't help but see certain parallels to the story of the Tower of Babel. Think for a moment. Do you recall, back going, going back to your Old Testament, do you recall what they'd gotten wrong at the Tower of Babel incident? What had happened was, in the opening chapter of Genesis, we find that, the, that, that mankind is told to go and, and to spread out into the world and to multiply and sort of fill the earth. That was kind of one of the early missions of humanity. Tower of Babel is like, they got to one place and they stayed in one place. They're like, no man, we're not going anywhere. We're staying, we're gonna build a big society, we're gonna build a big tower to heaven. They got proud, they wanted to make a name for themselves, they wanted to stay in one place. And you kinda of see certain parallels here. Not that, not that the church is in the wrong, but they're all together and they're in one place. There are about 120 of them in Jerusalem and they're sitting together somewhere in a rather large house, we learn in verse two a house which must have been very close to the city center because when this all breaks loose, we're gonna see this in a moment, you've already heard it read, but in a moment when it all breaks loose, everybody just is kind of there. So they're not far from the hub of where everything is happening. They're gathered and they're in one accord. How, how is that for a beautiful picture? And by the way, you can't see what I see because I'm up here looking at it, but look, if you just look around, how beautiful is this today? Oh, just to, to look around and see your bright, shiny faces, to see the people of God, and admittedly, some visitors and family that are here, you know, which are not yet part of our church family, but we'd, we'd certainly invite you and welcome you in to, to be so. But to be gathered together is so essential. God had reasons that Pentecost fall the way it did. I mean, here it was a, har it was a harvest festival, so they're celebrating that in gathering. And there they are together. The church is pulled together like harvest grains in, in the work of the harvest. And the preparation that they needed was to come together for the mission to happen. The mission of reaching the world for the gospel, of being witnesses for Christ, to declaring his name, to, to reaching all the nations throughout the world happens through the church. Can I spell that any more plainly? The mission of the Lord to reach the world happens through the church. Now, are we still the church at those times when we are scattered? Like Sunday from noon or one o'clock on through till the next Sunday morning. Are we still the church when we're scattered? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely we are, and God does quite a bit of mission through individual people who are part of, they make up part of the church, but when they're out in their job or in their school or wherever, yeah, is he working? Of course he is. But it happens because of the, the church also gathers. We're not really the church if we never gather. The word church, we've talked about this, in the New Testament is a word that means a gathering. It was a Greek word that, that the church took over to, to designate itself, but it was just a secular word and it meant a bunch of people coming together. It meant an assembly of people. And here's the thing, if we're talking about encouragement, that Jesus is going to bring about his mission, we, we have to see that, that we get discouraged when we get alone. When you let yourself get isolated from the church, when you get away from the assembly, from the coming together with other Christians, it's just like you know when Jonathan said what he did about, um, about Jesus and not forgetting Jesus, how Paul says this, it's like, could you forget Jesus? You'd say no, but what happens when you get away from the church, when you get away from the people of God? It's not impossible to forget. Forget what you're about, to forget the mission, God works through the church together. That's, that's, that's the first encouragement. The second one is that heaven initiates the mission. Heaven initiates the mission. In the scripture, a lot of times, you have heaven being mentioned in, in the place of God. And that's, that's called a circumlocution, for those that remember that from their high school English class, a circumlocution. It's a, a workaround. The Jewish people didn't like to drop the name of God casually. And so in Matthew's gospel, you'll find that the kingdom of God, Luke, Mark, is named the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Jesus, you know, because Matthew's being sensitive to the Jewish reader and he's putting heaven, but they understand they mean God. Now look at this. It says, and suddenly there came from heaven. So, I mean, above, I'm sure, but also from God, right? And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. At this point, I want you to simply notice here that the beginning of the mission is not through human origin. Christ has ascended, he's gone into heaven, they saw him go, he's taken with the clouds. We find out, we're gonna find out in a moment when, when Peter preaches that He's seated at the right hand of, of God the Father and from there he sends this that they're, that they're going to experience. If you are a believer, that should make total sense to you. How, how is it that you were born again? Don't answer the question. I don't want, I don't want you to shout it out because you might be embarrassed. You might say the, <laughs> the wrong thing. But um, how were you born again? Well, the book of John, John's gospel says that those who are born from above born again, born from above, are like the wind. You don't know when they come and they go. They're, we're going, where it, because it, it happens by way of the Holy Spirit. John 1.13 says, not of, this is talking about our second birth, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor will of man, but of God. So there's an analogy between the birth of the church and the birth of each Christian from above. It doesn't happen through human activity. It happens by the work of God and the Holy Spirit. When you consider the, the history of the church, I don't mean this particular church, but I mean the church in the last 2,000 years, you may look at certain events and certain things that happen and people will point them out. If, if they're not, a lot of times when people aren't believers and they're trying to you know, knock you down a peg, they'll, they'll remind us of some horrible thing that happened in church history. 
if you look at what, how men have screwed things up along the way here and there, and ladies, I do mean men, <laughs> mostly, mostly. I mean, there's a few exceptions to that rule as well, aren't there? But no, when you, when you think about how men have screwed things up along the way, you can get really discouraged because we have a knack for doing that. But our hope for the church, our encouragement, is that this is born of heaven. The church came about not through, not through a bunch of guys getting together and saying, hey, let's form a club, but it was a work of God called into being by Christ come through the Holy Spirit which he sent from the Father. And may I say that, that, prince, that that's not just an encouragement, that's also a principle that should inspire us. Because what I see in the church, this is not knocking any particular church or anything, but what, I, what I've noticed through my years of ministry is that it seems like every couple years somebody tries to reinvent the church. You notice that? How many have been Christians for a while? Do you notice this, this, this happening? Like, you know, you kind of think you know what the church is about, and then somebody says, oh, let's do this. This is what the church should always be doing. This is what the church, and they, we, we get all convoluted, and we twist ourselves into pretzels trying to be what we think the world will like, and that's just dumb. It's, it's, we don't need to reinvent what, what God has given us, what Christ has done. We don't need to re, rebrand and reformulate and make ourselves relevant. We, just, we keep doing what he gave us to do because the church belongs to him. It's his initiation. Thirdly, it came with power. See, we're moving, we're moving. Three, came with power. Sticking to verse two still. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but we'll, we'll move. It, it came with sound. It came with sound like a mighty rushing Win, right? That's my sound effect, okay? I know you're, if, you're, if you're from Kansas, you're like, well, that wasn't really that good. That wasn't that good. Because you, you know when. You're like, I know what wind sounds like. You know, what, what, we, what the church calls Pentecost, Kansans call Monday. Uh, this is loud. We're, how many noticed how, how loud the wind was on Monday just this last week? Seriously, I, I was, per, you know, I was in the text Monday throughout the day. I didn't quite get to the point where the sermon was written, but I had a good idea where I was going and, and where the text was going and all of this. And I, and I went home and I was throwing Frisbee to my dog out on Monday and the wind was blowing hard. You know, that Frisbee somewhere between Ellenwood and Oz right at the moment is... <laughs> But I couldn't help but think about it. There, I'm standing there, you know, mighty wind is coming through, and it made me think exactly of this text. The word rushing here gets translated elsewhere when talking about the sea as roaring. So this isn't just, this is not just an average wind. I assume they had wind in, in ancient Israel. But this was a wind that, that caused people to take notice. This eventually becomes the, a sound along with the languages that, that catches people's attention. Have you ever heard a tornado? Of course you've heard a tornado. You're, you're from, we have some people from Nebraska, they get tornadoes too. I heard it, I remember one time sitting out on, on uh, it was my uh, wife's uh, home place and we're sitting on a, a patio, it was 4th of July and we were sitting with sunlight at the moment and all at once we're, and she lives right next to a train track too, that's the other thing, this farm's got a train track going right through it and uh, all at once we hear a train, we're like, hey, well, there's you guys see a train? What's going on there? A mile down the road, tornado going through. Right? It's an unusual sound, but this is the kind of thing. The imagery here is power. Jesus told them, if you'll recall, wait till the Holy Spirit comes. So don't go on the mission yet. Don't go out there and start taking it to the nations until you have waited and the Holy Spirit comes and then you will receive power and then you will be my witnesses. If you're on a sailing ship, 
Would you say that the word becalmed, becalmed, it's an old word. Is that a good word or a bad word? Becalmed, it has that word calm, which sounds really good, right? That's not a good word. It's actually a really negative word. You know what becalmed means? It means you're on a sailing ship with no other power but the, the sails, and you're out somewhere in the middle of the ocean, and the wind stopped, AKA in the doldrums. You thought in the doldrums meant depressed. It actually comes from a ship that's becalmed. It's not going anywhere. You got so much food supply, so much water on hand. You're out in the middle of the ocean. All of a sudden the wind stops. Do you know what human beings can do in that case? As sailors in ancient you know, sailing vessels, you know what you can do? Row. I wonder if we'll make it halfway across the Atlantic under our own power. <laughs> it's not not going to happen. And, and I just bring that up to say, look, the church does not move under its own power. Do we work? Yes. Do we put in effort? Yes. Do we try our hardest with all of our strength? Yes, yes, yes. All that's true, but without the Holy Spirit, it doesn't happen. It is the power of the Holy Spirit or not at all. And that is our confidence. A good thing not, that it not rest in the hands of, of men. All right. Fourthly, we enjoy his resting presence funny thing in Kansas too when you get wind what else do you get did you guys have anything pop up on your phone this week about a certain kind of weather warning other than the pollen which was not fun either that also tends to seem like follow the time when the but when the wind hits a pretty you you get the wind warning and then what's the next warning red flag warning you get wind what's the next thing you get you end up getting fire and the danger of fire and it's kind of fitting here that these two things go together it says and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them this is what John the Baptist had said would come he said you know I baptize you with water there's going to be one who comes after me and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire with fire I don't knock that over how awesome would that have been to, to have seen this? I mean, before, the, before they get tongues of language, they get tongues of fire. And it says, not fire, but as of fire. So they, they had no danger of like suddenly, you know, combusting, right? They're not like pastors messing around trying to do their own electrical work. By the way, why, where do you buy a good pair of diagonal pliers? Because mine are totally fried. Um, <laughs> I won't say how that happened, but I was trying to do some electrical recently, and there was, there was a flash and there was smoke, so. Uh, but they were not, I mean, they were not, because it says it appeared, it, was, it, it wasn't real fire, but, but it, was, it was a supernatural kind of glow that appeared as fire, and it, and it comes to each and it rests over them, and that is to signal the coming of the Holy Spirit. What's really cool, if you try to parse this out and, and get a biblical picture to understand what's happening. What this calls to mind in the Old Testament is the presence of God with his people as they traveled through the wilderness. Do you remember that? Let me read it. Look for parallels as we read this. So it was always. The cloud covered it, that's the tabernacle, by day, and the appearance, not fire, but the appearance of fire by night And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. So do you see some parallels there? 
the appearance of something like fire came to rest over God's people in the Old Testament as God was bringing them to the promised land and what we see now is that the Holy Spirit comes to rest over them. What did that say to the disciples? And what, did it, what does it say to us today? I believe that, that, what that what that says to us is that the church has the ongoing promise of not only the coming of the Holy Spirit, but of his dwelling with us and resting and remaining on us. Now, could we pray for greater fillings of the Holy Spirit? Sure, we see that play out in scripture that there are times where there's a more intense filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't doubt that. Does God still do that? Does God sort of have times of revival where the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful, extraordinary way that we're unaccustomed to? Sure, absolutely. But does that mean that we're becalmed now? Is the church becalmed? Are we in the doldrums? Is the church unable to to move because we've somehow reached this place where there is no spirit to move us? No. Spirit rests on God's people. And so, it's not about getting a better program. It's not about getting a better pastor. You probably could, but I'm just saying, don't look. there's no one out there, don't look behind the curtain. It's not about, but it's not about those things. It's not even about a beautiful renovation of our sanctuary, as much as I love that and I think it was worth doing. That's not what brings the kingdom of God. It is the, it is the ongoing and remaining dwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's God's staying power with us, his presence with us. Number five, you're hitting the middle. And the filling of the Holy Spirit drives the mission. I love how the wind, which is, by the way, a natural symbol for the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, you know, those who are born of the Spirit are are like the wind. It fills the house first, and it fills each of them. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As promised, Jesus sends the Spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he had told them about. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit descends on the 120 and they start to speak in languages that they did not know. They were filled. What's interesting here is, and I'm not trying to avoid the whole charismatic, non-charismatic, and all in the speaking in tongues thing. I'm not really trying uh, to avoid that. I, I don't even see that as the main point. I know we could derail and spend a bunch of time talking about that, but in the context, I don't, I don't think it's that important. To, to even talk about whether tongues are for today. Um, for my money, I believe that, that historically we're looking at Pentecost, it's a historical event, it was the coming, it was the birth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's repeatable, I don't think it's intended to be repeated. But in, uh, in context, understand what's going on here. The Spirit's outpouring was not only prophesied, but it was necessary for the mission. It was necessary for the missions. Number six, the Spirit enables the mission. When you look at all the many passages in Scripture where it talks, and you you can see it's a full sermon today, so I didn't have time to go and give you every rabbit trail there. There are a lot of places that talk about, in Old Testament and the New Testament, where individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit. But nine times out of 10, do you know why they were filled with the Holy Spirit? It was to proclaim the word of God. It was to speak. It was to proclaim the kingdom 
of God. And that's what you see happening here. It wasn't given to just make everybody feel a little energized. Can I just say Pentecost is not the equivalent of the spiritual red bull phenomenon. It doesn't give you wings. It's not like, ooh, we got the Holy Spirit so we feel caffeinated. That's not what it, rather what's happening here is the Holy Spirit is weaponized for the gospel mission. The Holy Spirit is weaponized for the mission of the church. Can we agree on that? That in the passage, if you're looking for why it comes, why he comes, the Holy Spirit, it is so that they would have power in order to be witnesses for Christ. They are, they are literally speaking as given by the Spirit in a profusion, I like that word, a profusion of languages. There again, it's, it's, like, it's like Babel, only it's sort of the reverse of Babel. We'll come to the languages here in just a moment, but what I want you to see is that the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church is a momentary, supercharged, spirit-enabled ability to bring the word of God to the people who need to hear it, to cross that language barrier of those people that had come to Jerusalem. Now, what do you think? Do you think after they received the Holy Spirit that they then were able to go as missionaries to all of those places and that they had the ability to just now speak in those languages that, that it just continued with them? Like everybody that got the gift of speaking Parthian suddenly could go there and, no, no. And, and that's not what we should expect today either. If you're gonna be a missionary, if you're gonna go to China, I would say you should probably start trying to brush up on your Mandarin or your Cantonese or whatever it is you're gonna speak there. You, you, that, that has to happen. But what we have here is the promise of the Holy Spirit allowing us and enabling us to proclaim the word of God. And I believe every Christian has that same right and that same privilege. That when you speak the word of Christ, when you share the gospel, that you have that same certitude. Seven, God readies the multitude. You've, you've all heard stories of people going and sharing the gospel and when they got there, the people said, yeah, I knew you were coming. Well, how'd you know? Well, I had a dream or I had this and that and the other thing. Um, the multitude here was prepared in advance and it's really cool. They were there for the harvest festival of Pentecost. Jews from all around the then Roman world. It was pretty much the, the whole world as the world was known at the time, and they'd come to Jerusalem. God had brought the whole world, so to speak, representatively, to the gates of the fledgling church. Look what it says. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews from devout, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Think of this for just a minute there. You're, you're gathered, the church is at its birth, um, you know, you've just taken care of a few things, but you haven't even left the house yet. Imagine that. You know, imagine you're, you're staying at home one day and you, just, and you finally give your life to the Lord. And so now you're a Christian and you open the door and there's the world, like just gathered at your door. That, that's, that's what God had drawn all of these people to the very door of the house where the church was when they received the Holy Spirit. Would it help you if when you prepared to share the gospel, if you kept that in mind? Yeah, I kind of think so, right? God prepares the nations. God prepares the harvest. Jesus said, what, about, what did he say about the harvest? Do you remember it? That it was um, white 
white for harvest, meaning ripe, ready to go. It's been prepared. You just go and harvest it. That's all you need to do. We work, but we don't operate in a vacuum. We operate in a world where God has prepared hearts. The Holy Spirit has been at work. Eight, Jesus chose ordinary folk for his mission. That should, pretty, that should kind of comfort us, shouldn't it? Shouldn't you be encouraged? It says, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, how did they know this? They're all there. They can presumably all speak either Greek or Aramaic, probably. So that Jews from all around the world, they each have their native language wherever they're from, but they can also speak one of the, one of the lingua franca of the day, and so it's probably Aramaic. And so they're talking amongst themselves, and they're going, do you hear your own language? Because I'm hearing distinct Arabic. Like, I'm hearing them talk about the things that God has done in, in Arabic. And they're like, yeah, well, this guy, I heard him speaking in Latin. And they're like, ah, well, I can see. And in, just an incredible moment and so they come to see what's going on they've heard this freight train of a roar of a wind and then they you know can you imagine hearing that you know you're getting this this filtered language coming to you all just kind of this cacophony of voices and it draws all these people in uh, to see what's going on what would you think you would find if you started hearing all of these foreign languages being spoken all at once in just perfect elocution what would you expect to find? What kind of people would you expect to find? Wouldn't you think you're gonna find scholars, a bunch of Rhodes scholars, a bunch of egg-headed you know, scholarly types, at least teachers, people like Carl, smart people, you know. And, uh, and they came and they found the first century equivalent of the cheap seats at a NASCAR event. And they're, and they're sorry, did I offend any NASCAR people there? Didn't mean to. I said the cheap seats of the NASCAR. Is that where you go? Never mind. Uh, but you're not expecting the brightest bulbs there, right? You're not expecting scholars, and they come, and, and they're a bunch of Galileans, and the Galileans weren't really known for being particularly religious or well-educated or any of that stuff. Now, what do we take away from that? If God uses ordinary people like you and me, should we take from that that we should avoid all scholarship and academic effort and all learning? No, no, I mean there's a lot in scripture that we should value, we should value learning, we should dive in deep, we should learn what we can. If you're gifted and you wanna go that way to learn biblical languages and do study in that is, is so good. But the point is, God's not up in heaven going, man, I'd really like to get onto this whole mission thing, but I just don't have enough Harvard grads in the camp yet, you know? Just get a few more people from Ivy League schools and we'll finally be able to knock this thing out. God's not waiting for that. God's maybe waiting on you, <laughs> ordinary person. Hey, he's waiting on us. He doesn't wait for us to become scholars. He doesn't wait for us to know everything between these, I mean, dive in, get to know it. The better you're prepared, the better you know, the better you can, but, but do not wait until you have every answer to every question before you share the gospel because God's been using very stink normal people for a good long time. Number nine, see I'm rushing. The mission succeeds at reaching the nations. This is my favorite point in the whole sermon, so it's too bad that you're asleep by now and you're not gonna catch it, but I've talked in sermons before about fractals. You, do you know what a fractal is? 
I'm not a mathematician and I don't pretend to be one and I know there's a very mathematic explanation for it, but on just the surface lay level, a fractal is one of those images where if you took a microscope and you looked at it at its smallest level, there would be a pattern, but then if you just you know, keep coming out and out and eventually you're out beyond the universe looking at the then known universe, you'd still see the same pattern, right? That's what a fractal image is. And Pentecost is like a fractal image of what the church is going to do throughout its history. The mission, the mission and the success of the mission is already imprinted in our DNA on the very first day of the church. It's super cool. It's kind of like, you know, you think about how you came into existence, right? You, you, all, all at once, you know, you had all of the genetic material slamming together and there was conception and then you became you at, at, at conception. All of the genetic material and, and image was right there, laid in. That, that became you. And in the same way, the church at its founding, you see imprinted on it the very you know, image of, of, what, of where we're gonna end up. Look what it says. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. I'll just skip ahead. You see that all, right? You know, it, it, we did a good job of reading all those, those nations. If I had more time, I would go through and we would really look at it because there's, there's some interesting patterns, let us say, in, in the choice and the layout of, of these and it kind of it's all sort of the points of the compass of the then known world. These cities and states and, and, and nations represented most of the, the main localities where the Jewish people had been dispersed Two. It was a good representation of the nation. So here's where I'm going. On Pentecost, before they even left Jerusalem, on the very first day that the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, they reach the nations. Do you see that? Day one, the church's mission is complete. Sort of, right? Like day two, they must have been going, well, we got that done, what's next? Because for them, they, didn't, they weren't thinking of the Gentiles yet, and here they had a representation of the entire world come to their door and hear the gospel. It was kind of like as if a, one grape had been taken from every vineyard throughout the world and brought to Jerusalem and thrown into a vat and made into a vintage of new wine. How much confidence should that give us on day 737,600? Give or take, I, just, I did the math. It's, it's something like that. How much confidence should we have? Again, think about the sort of that fractal idea. It's like at day 737,600, we already see it's in our DNA, it's imprinted on us that the church succeeds at the mission of reaching the nations. Our coach is gonna get us there. It's gonna take us to state. Booyah, I would've thought you would've been a little more excited about that. <laughs> But we're only, you know, we're nine points in, so I, I, I understand. Finally, the mission will divide. The mission will divide. I heard Pastor John Piper the other day, he was answering a question about, um, and this will be relevant to a lot of you, it's relevant for me. What do you do as a Christian parent when your adult children depart from the faith and, it, and you don't know whether they're going to come back or not and, and it looks bleak? And you feel like you've been a bad parent. You can always look back and think of things that you could have done differently, things you could have done better. And they're like, well, how should you look at that? And of course, they're asking John Piper, one of, one of his sons is way off the beaten track. I mean, like way out there, more or less speaking against the gospel. 
And so he answered this question, for, took him about 10 minutes and at the end of it, he more or less took them to the scripture where Jesus said, you think I've come to bring peace to the world, but I've come to bring a sword because it will divide. The gospel will divide, it will even, and then Jesus talks about the family and about you know, how it will divide brothers and sisters and mothers and their daughters and fathers and their son. You say, well that doesn't really encourage me, Pastor Jay, when you tell me something like that. How is that supposed to encourage me? It should encourage us because it, it, it doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. If we, if we tell people the gospel and, and they don't repent and believe the gospel, that's, that's not a sign that we're doing something wrong. Here they are at Pentecost. This huge, this huge sign has happened. The, 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 the magnitude of this is so incredible that people are shaking their head in disbelief. They're perplexed and they're amazed. They can't make sense of it. They can make sense of the fact that they know that, that these Galileans are speaking in all of these different languages, but they're, they're looking at it going, what does this mean? Here's what it says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So you've got that side of which many are going to hear the, the gospel preached, of which many are going to be added to their number in just a matter of hours. But then it says in verse 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Well, they were, right, in one sense. Because Jesus said of, of the kingdom that it was like new wine and that you don't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. God was doing something miraculous and something new. And some looked closely and went, I can't explain this. But then there were those that kind of looked at it askance, kind of out of the peripheral vision, didn't give it much of a thought and said, you know what, these guys are probably just drunk. They're probably just drunk. They took a silly explanation. Here was this amazing miracle and sign from God. Some believe, some don't believe. So what should we expect today when we preach the gospel? Should we expect, expect something different? No. We still proclaim the same gospel and we see the same twin reactions. We are a fragrance of life, Paul would say to some. We are a stench of death for others. Rejection of our message should not discourage us because we trust in Jesus. And Jesus will complete his mission through the, through the church. So don't be discouraged. If, you know, if you look at certain things in the church today, you know, oh, attendance isn't what it was, and yeah, COVID did a number, and some church closed its doors because of that, and, you're, and you get all, all, all worried about that. Don't let that discourage you. God, it, is, it is God's work by God's spirit through ordinary people like you and me. So should we have doubts that he will do his work in us? No, no. Don't get desperate. Don't try to update the gospel. Don't try to make the church into something, you know, brand new and exciting and weird or whatever it is in order to, you know, no. We preach the message that we've had. We keep preaching it to all the nations until the day Christ returns. That's also why we proclaim that today to you. If you are here or you're listening online and you have never come to that place in your life where you have trusted Jesus as your savior, then we just, we offer him to you today. I mean, Jesus Christ came into the world, the Bible says, to save sinners. And if you are here and you can hear what I'm saying, that's you, because we are all sinners. 
every one of us born in sin, every one of us needed Christ, needed that, that saving work of Christ on the cross through his death and burial and resurrection, which we are celebrating today. He died on a cross so that those who hear the gospel and respond by repenting and believing would have life in his name. And we invite to that today. Make, make this your Easter the, where the resurrection really comes to matter in, in the way it should. Let this be the day that you hear the gospel and you respond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you are alive, that your mission continues and that you choose people like us. Lord, we, we fight against it. Sometimes we just feel too ordinary. We feel too Galilean for our own good and we think that we can't manage it or we look we look at the failures of some and we think that somehow you've been derailed or your, or your uh, wind has, has becalmed us and that, and that we're just stuck. But Lord, we know that's not the case. You have sent your spirit upon your church and Lord, you have gathered us for this, for this purpose and Lord, may we be given fully to it. May we not get derailed, may we not get discouraged but Lord, let us keep the main thing the main thing and, and keep serving you and preaching and proclaiming through the power of your spirit. And I pray that that message would fall on receptive hearts today. Not those that mock, not those that stand by and jeer, but Lord, that your, your gospel would fall on humble hearts that look and see something amazing and can't make sense of it. And I pray today for them, it would finally make sense that they would turn to you, believe, and be saved. We ask in your name, amen.